The famous radio announcer, commentator, Paul Harvey would always begin his program with, and now, the rest of the story. What he would do is he would highlight things that others missed or left out. Well, today, the rest of the gospel story. Repentance is often missed. It is often left out. Repentance, as we saw last week, is necessary. Everyone Jesus seeks and saves repents. They turn from their sins to God. Now that might seem like a really obvious point, but it is often missed. It's often ignored in preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Wayne Grudem said it this way, Commitment to Christ, if genuine, must include a commitment to turn from sin. Preaching the need for faith without repentance is preaching only half the gospel. Kevin DeYoung said, Repentance is a stumbling block for so many. Many churches produce false Christians and false conversions because all they say to people is, believe in Jesus. They never say, repent. And the two must always go together. Basically, a watered-down version of the gospel does not ask for wholehearted commitment to Christ. Now, we are in the midst of a really short series. Before we continue on in our really long series in Matthew's gospel, going verse by verse, we're almost into the final two chapters in Matthew, but we've taken a pause here in the summer to talk about the joy of repentance. Last week, I I quoted a a writer who said that repentance is the vomit of the soul. Today, we're not going to talk about that. Today, we're going to talk about how repentance is, yes, like we saw last week, a gospel gift, but also a response. Last week, we saw the provision of repentance, that it is a gracious gospel gift from God. It's not our gift to Him, it is His gift to us. But today we're going to see the priority of repentance, that it is an expectation of all who belong to Christ. I want you to open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. And when you find that, please stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Let's hear God's word on it. This is Jesus telling a parable of the lost sheep, very familiar by the way. It's followed by the parable of the lost coin, followed by the parable of the two sons. But Luke chapter 15, verse 1, this is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that the familiarity of this, of this parable would, would not be lost on us, Lord, that we would 
listen to what you're saying, that you would have your way with us and that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We do not want to be giving watered-down versions of the gospel either to ourselves or to other people. We don't want to be preaching half the gospel. We want to preach faith and repentance. We want to preach what the Bible preaches. And I think this parable is going to help us do just that. Jesus says there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That's the main point, really, of the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, is that Jesus loves to seek and save those who are lost. That Jesus, his main priority is to seek and save the lost. That he loves to do so, that it brings the Father joy, the supreme desire is to see sinners repent. Now it starts off in verse 1 where tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. We're, we're used to that, but in those days, first of all, the tax collectors were, were seen as the worst among the worst. And then they had a, a general category, sinner. Everyone else just lumped in together. And then there were the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now they're grumbling, verse 2, and they're saying, they're accusing, and they're saying, this man is sinning. He's receiving sinners. He's eating with them. Table fellowship was a big deal back then, bigger deal than it is now. If you had table fellowship with someone, you identified with them, you accepted them, you were in league with them. They were grumbling, and so this is why Jesus told the parable. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. Because of the grumbling of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of that day thought, no, the tax collectors and sinners aren't worthy. So Jesus must be wrong or he would know better. One writer calls this the gospel of the outcast. He tells them this parable, this story with a point. Again, same as the lost coin, same as the lost son, that Jesus' supreme desire is to seek and save the lost. The love of the Father made manifest in Christ's saving work. Verse 4, he says, there's a hundred sheep, not an uncommon size of a group of sheep in those days. He loses one and he leaves the 99 in safety and he goes and he searches until he finds that one lost one. That's how important a person is to Jesus. That's how important you are to Jesus. He finds him, verse 5, and and puts him on his shoulders. Maybe the sheep was injured. Maybe it was scared. But either way, he brings it back rejoicing. And verse 6 tells us he goes home, calls his friends and neighbors, throws a party, and they celebrate. And he says, you know, you've got to rejoice with me. Scribes and the Pharisees should have been rejoicing. They were grumbling. They should have been rejoicing that tax collectors and sinners were having an opportunity to be saved. And then Jesus says in verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven. That phrase, joy in heaven, is significant. It's it's code word for God will be overjoyed. This is God's joy that is being pointed out. God will be overjoyed over one sinner who repents Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. 
And Jesus is not talking about people who are already justified and, and are right with God and so everything's good with them and there was just one that was out, out of the fold. What Jesus is saying is this one sinner that repents is going to cause more joy in heaven because of the 99 righteous who think they need no repentance. Jesus is looking the scribes and the Pharisees in the eye. He is staring them down. He is saying, you're wrong. What does it mean for a sinner to repent? That's what this is about. Sinners repenting. So it's not about the sheep, right? We know this, right? It's about a sinner repenting. So how does a sinner repent? Quite simply, and I love this, you've got a sheep who's lost and isn't finding itself. The shepherd goes and searches for the sheep. You've got a coin that is lost and obviously is not looking around for its owner. So you've got two Two things that are just like totally lost. And the idea is that God initiates, we respond. God initiates, we respond. In fact, when you think about the the parable of the prodigal son, there's the one we can kind of understand on a personal level because now we're talking about people, not coins and sheep. And here he comes to his senses. The son comes to his senses after squandering all his father's money, after wasting it in 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 horrible living basically he comes to his senses he's basically in the the realm of repentance and he decides to come back to his father but how does the sinner repent what does it mean for a sinner to repent god initiates we respond god chooses us god changes us god gives us a desire to follow jesus and repentance is the expected response of a person chosen by god to god it's, it's the, respect, the expected response. Repentance, if you think about it in theological terms, repentance is the elect's response via the Holy Spirit's work. Remorse and regret. Let's talk about that for a minute, though, because we talked about that last week a bit. Where does remorse and regret come from? It comes from condemnation. A good friend of mine told me that last week, and I thought, that's a good point. Remorse and regret comes from condemnation. But where does repentance and faith come from? It comes through conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's our response to the Holy Spirit's work. That's why we can, we can cling to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've truly repented, really there will be some things going on in your life. You might not be able to put them in in order or exactly explain but taking a look back you would see that some things are going on there is the conviction of the holy spirit there is confession of your sin and then there is something called conversion i want to look at all three of those all three of those things first of all conviction if you truly repented there will be conviction of sin in your life look with me at john chapter 16 Jesus is explaining to his disciples what is going to happen after he goes to the cross and they're left on earth. So in between the cross, the resurrection, and his return. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, he'd already said, I'm going to send the helper to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
And verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin. I like the way Oswald Chambers put it. Conviction of sin is one of the most uncommon things that ever happens to a person. You can't make conviction of sin happen in your life. God brings it about. The Holy Spirit generates conviction of sin. It's the beginning of an understanding of God. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He is going to convict people of sin. When the Holy Spirit uh, stirs a person's conscience and brings them into the presence of God, it's, it's not that person's relationship with others that they're worried about. No, at that point, they're worried about their relationship with God. They're in the, in, in the presence of a holy God. That's why David in Psalm 51, after he had been convicted of his sin in the presence of God by God's instrument, Nathan, when David sinned so grievously with Bathsheba, God sent Nathan to David and, and, and to, to point at him and say, you are the man, you are the one who has sinned, and, and you need to deal with this. That's why David would say, against you and you only I have sinned. In fact, that conviction leads to that confession. If you're convicted of your sin, you realize, you know what? God's justice is rightly pointed at me. I am guilty before a holy God. I'm convicted of my sins. But it leads to confession of sin, where you admit God's, your guilt and God's justice. When you admit that you are under the consequence that is rightfully due you. You don't celebrate sin anymore. When you're you're convicted of your sin and you begin to confess your sins, you don't celebrate sin. You don't condone sin. And you don't even confess, condemn other people for their sins. Isn't it so easy for us to do? Look at everyone else and go, look what they're doing and point the finger at everyone else. Get all judgmental. Conviction and confession leads to what is called conversion. Conversion. Now, the, the lack of the preaching of repentance has caused some, some half-baked ideas in, in many people's lives because they think, well, just believe in Jesus and I don't have to do anything else. There's nothing else called for. Well, conversion, it's when the Holy Spirit does a work in your life. In fact, go with me to Matthew 18. Just the idea of, of this idea of conversion and what Jesus says about it. And how necessary it is in your life. You're not, conversion is another way of saying getting saved, becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Christ. There's a change that happens. There's a transformation that takes place. It's a turning. Jesus, in answer to the question of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, called a child to him, put him in the midst of them, in verse 3 of, of chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel, said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you're never going to get into the kingdom of God. Now that word turn is the idea of being is converted. Some, some of your translations say that, unless you're converted. Basically what happens in conversion is that you are acquitted of your sins you've been convicted of your sins you confess your sins you admit them to god you agree with god about your sins and how how what an affront to god they are because you think about it when you think about your sin you're not only going against god you are you're playing god <laughs> you're, you're trying to be god in your own life 
So you confess your sins, and it results in conversion, where you are acquitted of your sins. You, you're adopted a whole new view of life. You get in a whole new life. Think about when someone loses a lot of weight. We've had several in our fellowship who, over the last few years or few months, have lost a dramatic amount of weight, and they come walking towards you, and you think, I think I know that person. I think I recognize you. You're half the man I used to know. And and it's this dramatic change. They're a new person. Think about a butterfly. You got the egg, you got the larva, you got that cocoon, right? And all of a sudden, bam, butterfly. New creation. Different than it was before. Now, in case you're wondering, you're thinking, you know, I get the conviction of sin thing, I get the confession thing, but what's this conversion thing? I don't really use that word very often. What are you talking about? Let's just think where Jesus is preaching, and what does he preach? Okay? Well, let's, let's take it a step back. Let's go to John the Baptist first. Go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This whole idea of conviction and confession leading to conversion, a lot of people may say, no, no, all you need to do is say believe in Jesus, and that's all you need to say. That's the whole gospel. Well, go to Matthew 3, verse 2. And here's John the Baptist showing up on the scene, and he starts to preach. And what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you say, well, you know, he was paving the way for Jesus. He was getting them ready. He had to preach repentance. Well, what did Jesus preach? Matthew 4, 17. What did Jesus preach? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, how does, how does conversion resulting from our repentance fit into how God saves people? Picture a baby, okay? There's a lot of babies getting born at grace. And uh, these babies, they just go through the process, right? You don't talk to the baby before and go, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's, what, here's how you were created. And then here is how you're going to be born and then you're going to grow up. No, no. Well, you, you get the baby. And the baby just goes through all the, the things they need to go through to get out. And they come out and you grow the baby up. Feed them, clothe them, protect them, hold them, kiss them, all that stuff. And then they get bigger. And by the way, you guys were all a bunch of babies before, right? I'm not calling you babies now. I'm just saying you were babies before. I was a baby before. But now, today, you're like, oh, I, I get it now. I, I see the whole... Pro- there were a lot of things going on in this process that I was not aware of before. And it's the same way when you, when you come to know Christ. When you first come to know Christ, you're like, man, I just believed in Jesus. I turned from my sins, and bam, I got a new life. But then, when you start reading the Bible and people start explaining the faith to you from the Bible, you realize, oh, all these other things were going on. This is a beautiful picture, much bigger than I expected. You know, there's things like election. And by the way, some of these things happen in sequence, others simultaneously. But election, before creation, the Bible teaches that because of his sovereign good pleasure, God chooses some people to be saved. And it's a beautiful thing. It happens before the the foundation of the world. And then calling. God summons people to himself through the human proclamation of the gospel so they respond in saving faith. And regeneration. God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life to those who've been called. And then conversion. Where we willingly 
respond to the gospel call. We say, I want Jesus more than anything. I'm tired of my sin. I hate my sin. I I want Jesus. I know he's my only hope. And so you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Christ for salvation. Conversion. You got justification in the mix. An instantaneous legal act of God where he declares all your sins forgiven. And Christ's righteousness, yours. Adoption. This act of God in which he makes you a, a member of his family. And then sanctification, that progressive, lifelong process of God at work in you with your cooperation that, f- that frees you from sin and makes you more like Christ. I like the way Thabiti Anyabwili, yes, that's how you say his name, Thabiti Anyabwili, says, conversion is a change so dramatic, it requires the intervention of God the Holy Spirit. You can't convert yourself. In conversion, he says, the Spirit of God grants the twin graces of repentance and faith to sinners who turn from sin and turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be saying, but you know, I found a lot of verses in the Bible where it just says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16.31 is such a verse. You've heard me quote that verse tons of times, haven't you? Here's what you got to remember. Okay? And, and as you read the Bible, you see these things, but this is something that's easily missed. When only faith is mentioned in a verse, like, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, repentance is implied and assumed. Now, in the verses that only repentance is mentioned, faith is implied and assumed. Jesus was not preaching two different gospels, one gospel. And there's plenty of verses you can see where it's kind of all together, but there are plenty where they're, they're separate. So there's this turning from sin in repentance and this turning to Christ in faith. They are, they are two sides of the same coin. Neither can, can occur without the other. It's not possible. The question becomes, for all of us is, have I repented of my sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Salvation is a sovereign gift of God. Repentance is a gift, a gracious gospel gift from God. Has this happened in your life? Have you repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Now, we can take a test. Go to 1 John with me. We can take the the test. Does your life pass the, the 1 John tests of true conversion? You go, I don't know. Now you're confusing me. You're using a word I haven't used before. You know? Changing the rules? No. This is, this, is, uh, this is something the Bible teaches, that you repent and believe. So I've got six questions for you here from 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 1. First of all, chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. So someone saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what you've got there is the idea that if you are truly saved, if you're truly a Christian, if you've been converted, you live in light, not darkness. What what does that mean? Well, it means you don't hide your sins. You don't coddle sins. You don't have pet sins that are just okay to to keep on doing in your life because, oh, God will forgive me. No, you say, I hate that. I don't want that. 
I want Jesus more than anything. That's gospel truth. So do you live in the light, not darkness? If so, you, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Second question you could ask yourself, second test to take is in chapter 2, verse 15. Do you love God the Father? Do you love God? That's a simple question. And, and most people can answer. Yes or no? That's a, it's, a, it's a yes or no question. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So do you love God the most? Third, third question, do you, do you confess Jesus as Lord, as, as Messiah, as the answer to man's sin problem? Chapter 2, verse 22 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So if someone says, you know what, Jesus isn't the answer to our sin problem. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Do you confess Jesus as Messiah, as Lord? Fourth question, do you love other Christians? Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Do you love other Christians? If you hate other Christians, you, you've got to ask yourself, have I ever been converted? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Two more questions. Uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There's the Holy Spirit in your life. When you come to faith in Christ, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit simultaneously. Is there fruit being brought out in your life of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things appearing? just planted a tree at my house uh, about a month or so ago this guava tree and there's like 20 different little tiny fruits on there that hopefully in in a couple months we'll have some juicy delicious fruit to enjoy and one one last question chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 do you have enduring faith for everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world are you being dragged down by the world or is your faith overcoming is it enduring this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith do you have an enduring faith the good news the gospel good news is you can be saved from your sin and its ultimate penalty but you got to turn from your sins and come to Christ God created you he owns everything He's perfectly holy. He requires your perfect obedience to his rules, but you've broken them all, and you're going to pay the eternal penalty for your sin. You cannot save yourself by your own good works. Everyone can figure that out soon enough. Christ came down to earth as both God and man, sinless man, and he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross to pay sin's penalty, and he rose from the grave and is alive today, and he's coming back. You must repent of all that dishonors him and believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. Be willing to follow after him. The whole trajectory of your life is reoriented. 
The question for us today is, is this the message I have believed? Have I been converted? Did I somehow miss that repentance thing? Did it not get shared? And then the other question we've got to ask ourselves is, is this the message I'm preaching to myself and others? Don't preach half the gospel. And I want every one of us to know the joy that is in Christ. The joy of repentance. This joy that God generates. This, the gift of repentance and then the, the response. I want every one of us to, to, to know that joy that comes with faith and repentance. These twin graces from God. It's like the tax collector and the Pharisee. Based on that, you know, that, that song we sang earlier, it was based upon on this. The idea that, that one man's saying, you know what, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. And the other one won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He says, you know what, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to ask Pete Roberts to come up. He knows he's being asked to come up. I'm not just picking someone out of a hat. Pete made eye contact, so he has to come up. I really want Pete to, I've asked him to illustrate what I've just talked about with a story that just recently happened in his life. Let me get this to you. There you go. Good morning, everybody. Oh, am I on? Um, you know, Mike's, Mike has... Uh, been talking about coming to the Lord and conversion and repentance and uh, and uh, um, you know recently I, I went on vacation and I uh, before I left I, I I did this one thing I prayed that uh, the Lord would use me uh, somehow to you know and open up a door for me to share my faith while I was gone uh, on this trip and and we're all called to be ambassadors and I think I think this is a, a prayer we should pray. Be careful if you pray it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you if, you, if you pray this, and then you just need to be ready. Um, but uh, I did sincerely pray that, and, and uh, Elise and I were on a, a trip for a couple weeks, uh, and uh, we were traveling with a group, and, and uh, um, every morning, just probably like you, um, I did my Bible study. I had my Bible with me, and um, I would get up and I I would do that uh, study. And then before breakfast, I would go back to my room and I would, you know, put my books away and get my painting stuff. We were on a painting uh, trip, and and I'd go down to breakfast. And uh, so the second week, I, I thought, you know, um, I'm not going to put my Bible away. I'm going to take my Bible with me to breakfast. And just, I don't know, just take it with me. And, uh, and so the second day I did this, uh, there was another lady at another table and, and, uh, who's in our group. And she said, Pete, can, can I uh, look at your Bible? I, I want to look up a couple verses. This is really hard evangelism, by the way, when they ask you for your Bible. Uh, you know, you, you've got to be bold and uh, you, you hand them your, your Bible. Okay, and uh, you know, and my and my uh, my thought was, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get right over there next to her, and and I'm gonna just, I'm gonna teach her right into the kingdom. That you know, that's what I'm gonna do. And and uh, 
But I, I didn't. I thought, you know, uh, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do what, what the Holy Spirit. And I just finished my conversation, and and uh, she was reading, and I, and I, but I turned to her. I said, you know, I, I'd like to know. You need to tell me the verses you're looking up because I want to know. She says, oh, okay, no problem. And so five or ten minutes later, uh, I'm done with my visit, and I go and sit down at the table with her and. I said, all right, so what are the verses? And, uh, and we'd gotten to know each other over the first week. And she said, well, uh, Psalm 23, I just love Psalm 23. It's, it's so comforting. And uh, I said, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful psalm. And I said, and, and what was the other verse? Uh, she says, well, it was uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. I said, really? John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. And uh, I thought, you know, what came to my head at that point was, I feel like I'm Philip uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm running alongside the chariot. So I just said, I said, do you understand what you're reading? And she fumbled all over. She... um, I said, well, just drop down, and we open up the Bible. I said, just drop down to verse 14. It explains it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I said, this Jesus isn't like us. He's different. He's, he, he has no human father. He's of a woman, but, but of no, he has never sinned. He's perfect. He is the perfect one to be our Savior. And she started to tell me about how she's tried and she's trying to be a better person. And she, and she realizes it's just not happening. I said, I said, well, haven't you heard the gospel? She goes, well, what? I said, the, the Lord does not grade on a curve. You can't get in by trying to be a little better person. This is pass or fail. She'd never heard pass or fail before. I said, here's the deal. He says, you know, you only get in if you're completely perfect. And there's no completely perfect people getting in. I said, so we need a savior. And I said, do you want to know the gospel? I said, open up your Bible and turn. And and it's a verse that Mike has mentioned today, but I, I went there. I said, go to Acts 16. This is my Awana experience. I mean, I mean, I've only been to Awana 24 years in a row. I'm, I'm starting to learn the verses. I'm a slow learner. Okay, but I know Acts, Acts 16, 31b. And I said, look right here. And she opened it up. I said, look right here. I said, don't you know the story of, of Paul and Silas and the jailer? And by the way, the jailer, okay, if we're talking about sinners, you know, Mike mentioned tax collectors. Were, were, you know, they were a group by themselves. The jailers were with the tax collectors. They, they, they knew they were sinners. Okay. And I said, uh, look what happened. And we read through the story of, of Paul and Silas. But I, and, and the jailer said, what must I do? I'm so screwed up. What must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, I realize 
that that verse does not hit hard on repentance. Okay, but she had already confessed to me like the thief on the cross. And we went over that story. I told her about the thief on the cross. I said, do you want to know about theology? Just all of theology, I believe, is wrapped up on the thief on the cross. He confesses his sin in front of the other thief, doesn't he? He says, we deserve to be up here, but this man has done nothing. Now, let me ask you something. If you're looking for a savior, are you going to the guy who's hanging on the cross next to you? No, not not normally. I'm looking down for someone to help me. But his eyes were open. This lady's eyes were open. And I said to her, why don't, I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you take my Bible? And, or she said, can you bring your Bible today as we're going to go paint? And I said, sure. Well, we never got a chance to talk. But that night I gave her my Bible. I said, do, do me a favor, read Luke 15 and read about the prodigal son. Interesting, it's, the same, it's in the same section that Mike is talking about, Luke 15. And I didn't do what I normally do, which is I'm trying you know, get somebody to pray with me to receive the Lord, right? I just thought, look, the Holy Spirit is in charge of this. I'm going to let it happen. And she comes back the next morning to breakfast. She brings my Bible back. She has written out her testimony. I mean, you, not, if you could read this, and I'm, I'm trying to get a copy, okay? If you could read this, you would have been blown away. She confesses her sin. She realizes this. And she talks about not only justification, she doesn't use those words, but sanctification. And she prays that the Lord will grow her up in the faith. This is a person who's been a Christian for like 10 hours talking about justification. Is that amazing? Okay, and, and uh, so um, she's showing us her testimony. Elise and I were both there and and uh, I, uh, I, I said, well, Hook, you can have my Bible. You, she says, well, I can't take your Bible. You've got all your notes in it. And I'd written all over it. And, and Elise said, don't worry about it. He gives Bibles away all the time. And, and Mike is overjoyed because it's an NIV Bible. And he, he wants me to get a different Bible. Uh, uh, so... Um, I, I, you know, and, and again, I, I want to sh- share this with you. I really, I didn't want to share this with you. Mike asked me to. I, I'm a little embarrassed um, that, uh, but I want to show you that, that uh, if you pray, that the Holy Spirit will use you, okay? Uh, even me, okay? He'll use even me. And, uh, um, and if, if it says in the scripture that all the angels rejoice over one person, Shouldn't I, I thought to myself, shouldn't Grace Church rejoice as well over one person? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pete. The worship team is going to come back up. We're going to sing a closing song. You know, I said that Jesus and John the Baptist all preach repentance. So did the apostles. I love what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 after the resurrection. Verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. One of the things about the prodigal son, and I think we can really relate to that, it's tougher to relate to a coin, but a son we can get, he had rehearsed his confession to God. And he's coming back, and his father's running towards him. He didn't even get out his full rehearsed confession before the father just enveloped him with his love. This is all about the, the, the love of God shown to us in Christ. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And if God has touched your heart today, if he has, if he has shown you a need in your life for repentance or for faith, if he has granted to you the gift of repentance and faith, I want to ask you to come down just one of these front rows and one of our elders or pastors will talk to you and pray with you. There might be something else going on in your life. There might be something else. But if God has touched your heart today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Not to, to let it pass, but to, to do what God wants you to do. Whatever that is. Let's stand and sing.